0: I feel like the moon is actually kind of hard to pin down because she's so multivalent and shape shifting, and so it's kind of interesting that it's almost her essential nature to be uh, impossible to define. Um, I, I've always loved, I've always loved the moon in part because she is ever present and always taking a different shape, um, and so I think that. You know, the moon is, she's our sibling, she's our sister, she's the first mother, she's she's our memory, she's our ancestors. Um, I, I always love the the phrase, um, the moon is always female except when she isn't, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> because, you know, in a lot of cultures, obviously, the, the moon is associated with women and femininity, but that's hardly a cultural universal um and and that just speaks to her shape-shifting nature as well. Mm-hmm.
1: The uh, thing that I love about studying the moon is how the numbers never quite pencil out, and and sometimes that feels like the moon's job. That like where the sun is very exacting, the moon is very all over the place. And it doesn't feel like in a, like, like yes, it feels chaotic and messy, but it feels on purpose too. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, I want to like actually invite astrology into the conversation, but what I want to ask about it is like you, I, you, I've heard you identify before as a lunar astrologer. What does that have to do with sort of the fuzzy nature of measurement and of observation of the moon compared to the sort of very exacting science and precision with which some people who might not identify as lunar astrologers approach it. Yeah,
0: I love that. I um, I mean, I think a lot about the way that Greek culture has this fixation on symmetry and on exacting math. And in some ways, I feel like it disrupts our ability to connect with nature and reality itself because nature isn't perfectly symmetrical Mm -hmm. like that um and so there's all of these things uh, especially in i think some forms of or approaches to hellenistic astrology where we're really like shoehorning this organic system into a, a very like mathematical model that doesn't really reflect the reality of the the messiness the fuzziness of the system Mm -hmm. um and so part of what uh being a lunar astrologer means to me is focusing on the uh, visual nature of uh, astronomy and astrology you know it it really starts off with going outside and looking at the sky for ourselves taking things in um through our sense of sight rather than fixating too deeply on these little charts and all of the math and the calculations and don't get me wrong i love all the charts and the math and the calculations i mean Mm -hmm. that's kind of the peak of my special interest here Mm -hmm. but um it's impossible for me to put down the The visual nature of it as well Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot about like Babylonian takes on astrology they were much more focused on um, just observing the heavens and the co-arising of events on earth with the things that were going on in the heavens without getting too too like particular about Uh, shoving it into a perfect system Mm -hmm. um, because reality doesn't really fit in that that perfect system and in some ways i feel like that's something that we're grappling with as a society right now Mm -hmm. is as we develop more sophisticated ways of understanding astronomy in a mathematical and scientific sense we're really realizing that this model of the perfectly um perfectly designed cosmos where everything fits neatly into its place is just not really how reality is shaped. Um, But rather than, you know, ignoring that or despairing when we hit that point, um, I think that the moon offers us a really interesting ability to reconnect with um, the majesty of the messiness of it all.
1: What are some of the moon's teachings that, that seem like the most urgent to you, please answer specifically in the form of astronomical events in her cycle that represent and, and, and co arise with these things that, that we can learn from her.
0: That's a great question. I I mean, I think a lot about um, this is something that you helped reveal to me is the, the complex nature of the moon's zodiacal motion. Wow. Like when we talk about the speed of the moon, um, in some ways, measuring it is relatively easy, right? You just pull out an ephemeris, and you subtract one day from the other. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you've got some really good software, you just click a button, and it tells you how fast the moon is moving. Mm-hmm. Um, but underlying this. Um, mathematical calculation is an almost infinitely complex series of other measurements, right? Of like her declination and her like movement um, inward and outward, up and down. Um, All of this is built into this small mathematical calculation. And so that's something I think about a lot with the moon is this um, drive to look deeper into things that might seem Boring at the surface level or simple at the surface level, Um, the moon speaks to so much of what it means to be a householder, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, To, to, um, you know, wash the dishes and take out the trash and sweep the floors and all these things that are, um, if you just look at them in their very form, um, they are something that, you know, it's it's almost not even worth uh, thinking about. In, in any deeper sense, but actually represent this much more um, sophisticated thing under, underlying this, this small act of, you know, washing the dishes or whatever. So I think about that a lot with the moon. Um, with food, too, mm-hmm. right? Like, the I, I really associate the moon with, like, um, the activities of the kitchen, mm-hmm. And those are things that are really easy to uh, overlook, right? Like you don't really have to engage deeply with your food, with the the process of cooking your food, where it comes from, all of that. But it really is this complex process.
1: Mm -hmm. The phase of the moon is something that feels like one of the greatest successes in like the history of observation of the sky in terms of like permeating culture, right? Like even people who don't pay attention in the way that you're describing in the precise way, uh, you know, like the people, people make their funny, say their funny things about the moon, but like, you know, like things that happen and you know, like there's also the classic thing with like beginner astrologers where they're like, mind is blown by something that happens every month because it's like the first time they've noticed it, you know, but, but the, the, that, but that's still beautiful to me because it's like the, the the speed and urgency of the moon's cycle is, is impossible to ignore. Right. And so like, that's why everybody notices the phase, but there there are, there are some things about the lunar cycle in astrology that I think are way more subtle than um, the, than the nature of like one lunar cycle and the phases that it goes through and then starts again. Like I think about the prenatal syzygy, like, like, let's actually just talk about the prenatal as as a, as a phenomenon. Like, what does it, what does it mean that the, that, all, that the whole lunar cycle like ha, like has importance to the person who is born before they're born? Like, like how, how does that, how does, how does that work to in, in your, from your <laughs> point of view? I love
0: the prenatal syzygy. So for anyone who's listening that's not familiar with this, uh, syzygy refers to the conjunction or opposition of the sun and the moon, so the new or full moon. So the prenatal syzygy is the new or full moon before your birth. Um, And I think that it's it's a really interesting technique because it shows up a lot in some of the early Hellenistic texts, and then you find it even in later medieval texts, but um, it's not something that we talk about very often as modern astrologers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way I approach it is the prenatal syzygy is one of the five life-giving points, which is what uh, Ibn Ezra calls them. So it's mm-hmm. the, um, the sun, the moon, the prenatal syzygy, the part of fortune or lot of fortune, and um, the ascendant.
1: When you say point, you mean the location in the zodiac of the prenatal syzygy in the ongoing life and in like the chart of the native after it happens.
0: Exactly. So it's kind of like um, I I use point because the prenatal syzygy, you know, it's not a planet Mm -hmm. or something visible like the sun and the moon are. It's more of a kind of calculated point in Mm -hmm. the way that um, the lot of fortune or the ascendant is. But it's kind of interesting because it is unlike the ascendant or the lot of fortune it's almost the memory of a point Mm -hmm. right because the prenatal syzygy is something that can you can't look at a chart and calculate it you have to actually go traverse through time and Mm -hmm. find like what the degree of uh the fuller new moon before the birth was Mm -hmm. and so it's it's kind of unique in that set of factors and in a lot of ways even in considering all the things that we look at in in an astrology chart it's uh, I think it's rather unique because it, yeah, it represents this sort of memory. Um, it's one of the first times. This is something that uh, Dimitri George sort of puts out there, but uh, maybe it's one of the first times that your soul makes contact with our our universe. You know, your soul's. Off doing whatever it's doing before you're born, but um, the prenatal syzygy is like that first entry point into reality as we know it, and then mm-hmm. you go through whatever the process is to be born. Um, and so it's like, yeah, it's it's there's something ancestral about it, I think, because it's this point of memory. Um, it can speak to some of the conditions uh, before you were born, and so um, in a tangible sense, you know, that can be referring to the previous you know, one day to two weeks of gestation mm-hmm. um, that you experienced as a fetus before you were born, but can also speak to um, something even deeper, something more ancestral than that, because it's, it's, the, it's the point that lo- reaches back into the past, uh, which I think is really fascinating and very lunar.
1: There's a connection to me between that and the way eclipses and the nodes work. I want to talk about that a little bit, because I... I, I don't and like not, not so much like what does an eclipse mean, right? But like what is the nodal axis doing? Like it's like there's work getting done on this channel across the zodiac as the moon's whole orbit rotates around the earth. Right. Like for those who don't really think about the nodes in terms of what they are like, that's what it is. It's the points at which the moon's orbit intersects with the ecliptic from the Earth's point of view. So it's like rotating slowly around. And as that goes, like the eclipses are moving through the houses, doing sort of work on parts of your life that are very long. Right. And so I feel like they have to do with memory too. And now like the the symbolism of an eclipse is kind of the opposite, right? It's like, like you can't remember, it's like amnesia or something. Right. But, but it's still so deeply about memory and it's like over time, maybe those kind of crisis points create their own sort of memory. Right. What, what, what do you, what do you track in uh, in terms of eclipse cycles, uh, as far as what what they mean to someone over time and how the events of eclipses affect them and like what does that have what does that say about the moon herself in terms of what she represents
0: i love that it's a really good question um, eclipses have always really fascinated me they were kind of my entry point into astrology was just observing i'm like oh wow there's an eclipse happening in a sign that's very important to me what does that even mean so that that was sort of one of my entry points into the whole art of astrology um i think about like if it's interesting how we have this cycle of like a monthly lunation but then the eclipses function on their own cycles. And there's this interesting sort of, uh, it's this theme again of something that on the surface level seems relatively straightforward, but as you start to dig into it, it starts to open up to be this incredibly complex thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. so the eclipses go in cycles uh, returning to the same signs, in a a regular order um and so there's something about that of uh, memory i mean eclipses are very unpredictable from the experience of like a nativity I, i think in some ways um mundane astrology can benefit from analyzing eclipses but it's almost it's almost like barking up the wrong tree to get too analytical about what an eclipse actually means for an individual nativity because they're just
1: so vast in terms of like what happens to the person you mean? Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, like to be able to just be like, Oh, there's an eclipse happening across my, uh, fifth house, 11th house, 11th house axis. And that's going to mean, uh, uh, yeah, something. <laughs> right. I'm going to get in a car
1: accident. Like, but yeah, you can't say right. what, you know, something is going to happen, but right. as far as what, like, you know, too, too big of a question
0: right but but the way the only way that i've found to really derive much in terms of interpretive meaning from upcoming eclipses and a nativity is to look into the past and see you know what it was like when the eclipse was um across the axis so you know if it's a solar eclipse in your 11th house then what was it like when you had that solar eclipse in your fifth house Mm -hmm. and even going back further than that you know what was it like the last time there was a solar eclipse in that 11th house Mm and kind of tracing back finding the little pockets of time that you've already experienced um, with this eclipse energy and it's kind of interesting too because uh you have to You have to live for a certain amount of time before any of that means anything to Mm -hmm. you and so there's an interesting thing with the moon there too right the the moon um in traditional astrology we often point to her rulership of of babies and children and childhood and all of that but um there's also something about like you can only develop personal gnosis with the moon by aging and Mm -hmm. like spending time repeating those cycles um you can make all these predictions about what your saturn return is going to look like Mm -hmm. right like you can be 15 years in advance and really there's a lot that you can do to describe what you're going to get from your saturn return but the only way that you can really understand what your experience of upcoming eclipses is going to be is by having lived enough life to be able to look back in your cycles and see what arises for you then. And then the best part is that it's still unpredictable. Mm -hmm.
1: I want to just open the door a little bit about magic and the moon. Great. And (laughs) I, I just want you to share with me how your relationship with the moon expresses itself in terms of workings and uh, exerting your true will and, and interacting with these cycles as a, as a person with agency and skill trying to do the right thing in the world. What kind of work do you do together?
0: I love that. Um well, I mean really the the actual answer is all the work, right? Like everything I do is pointed back at the moon. And I don't know if that has to be the same for everybody, but certainly the way my nativity is set up, mm-hmm. um the the moon's the only way I'm getting anywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> so first off, <laughs> um but definitely I think uh you know, it sort of started off um observing the lunation cycle itself. Um one of my another of my entry points into astrology was really immersing myself in the jewish calendar mm-hmm. which um unlike the um sort of standard gregorian calendar um factors the moon's presence into the timing of the months and so um taking time for reflection when the moon is dark for example was like a very important entry point but as i've gotten deeper uh, i mean Whew, trying to sum it up, um, <laughs> um, the moon is like I. She feels like my coworker. She's my teammate, and so anything that I do, that I attempt to create in the world, I do in a in a team with the Moon. Um, And so what that looks like for me is certainly observing lunar cycles. Um, The Moon is the cornerstone of electional astrology. I mean, in my opinion, you don't even need the rest of the chart. Mm -hmm. The Moon's fine. You can just Mm -hmm. do electional astrology with that. Uh, Plenty of people have across time. Um, Beyond that, um, there's the magic point, right? There's this interesting relationship between the moon and magic that I think we see show up in a lot of cultures because of, I think, this mystery of, of what we're describing um, all throughout this conversation. And my approach to magic with the moon is definitely... Um, I try to find ways of integrating magic organically into my life. So I'm not a big, like, um, you know, prep a ritual and sequester myself for three days in the woods kind of kind of person. Um, I, I like to integrate it into my daily life. And one of the things that I think the moon is really great for is the social experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be some, like, I don't know, high level ceremonial magician to be able to be present with the magic of the moon. And so that's always what I'm doing. I'm always dragging my friends and my partners and anyone that I can meet out to like go look at the moon, uh, sing to the moon, pray to the moon with me. Uh, If it feels right, we can howl. (laughs) That's always great. Um, And uh, I, I definitely... I think that um I'm not a big like manifestation person that's mm-hmm. not really like the approach I have to my spiritual life um in some ways I think that's one of the reasons why the moon is so powerful for this because she teaches us to be present in all your phases to just you know continue on with the flow and sometimes you're waxing sometimes you're waning but uh you know it doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong that you're some kind of personal failure because you're you're waning and i think sometimes fixing fixating on the the manifestation aspect can be a little bit like you know gimme 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 like i'm i'm coming to the cosmos as if it were a vending machine and uh, i feel like that's sort of missing the forest for the trees
1: and that's what the lessons the moon teaches us